0: Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. As many of you know, I have spent the last week and a half up at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, For the purpose of uh, furthering my education. Now some of you are probably wondering why would a 52 year old man go back to school. I went back because I wanted to be the best preacher I could be. And I wanted to study expository preaching for the goal of improving my preaching so that I might... Be a faithful servant to my Lord. Because I am very aware that someday I am going to stand before the Lord Jesus. And I'm going to have to give an account for my ministry, my preaching ministry, as well as other parts. And I do not want to stand before my Lord and be guilty of doing less than the best I could do. Dads, you too will have to stand before Jesus someday if you're a Christian father. And you will have to give an account for how you have ministered God's Word to your family. You see, God's pattern from the beginning has been for the dad, the father, to minister His Word to his family. Long before the church was ever established and a man called the pastor stood before the congregation and ministered the Word of God, God had already set up the pattern that the Father was responsible for teaching His Word to his family. You can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. What do you see there? If you will read closely Genesis 1 and Genesis chapter 2, you will see nowhere that God came to Eve and gave her His commandment about not eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He gave that to Adam. And it was Adam's responsibility to deliver that word to Eve. If you look at Abraham, you see the same truth as we see over in Genesis Chapter 18, God is talking about the destruction He is about to bring on Sodom and Gomorrah. And He's talking with Himself about informing Abraham about this coming destruction. And notice what God says in verse 19 of Genesis 18. He says, For I have chosen him. He's talking about Abraham. Now, why did God choose Abraham? You say, well, He chose Abraham to to make him a mighty nation that He might bring forth the Messiah, Jesus, from him. And that truly is a long-range projection of why God chose Abraham. But look at what God says here. I have chosen him so that, with the purpose that he may command his children and his household after him, To keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. That is, if God was going to bring about the promise of the blessed nation of which the Messiah would come from, it was imperative that not only Abraham obey God and believe in Him, but his children do so as well. Isaac, and then Jacob, and then Jacob's sons, and all. And so God chose him and commanded him to teach his household the truth of God. Look over in Psalm 78. Here the psalmist is rehearsing for us the history of Israel. And he tells us about the Father's responsibility In Psalm 78, beginning in verse 5. For he, and he's speaking of God, established a testimony in Jacob. It's another way of speaking to the nation of Israel. And appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should teach them to their children that the generation to come might know even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children. The pattern is set. father Father to children, father to children, father to children, father to children. And the truth of God's Word was to be passed down. Now, this is before the church was ever established. They were coming together. And the Father would bring His family around Him and He would proclaim the truth of God to them. Even the picture that we have in the book of Deuteronomy, which is a pastoral book that Moses is giving a series of sermons to the nation of Israel. The picture that we have is Moses is speaking God's Word to the fathers and they were to go and tell this Word and implement this Word to their families. In the New Testament, we see this same pattern over in Ephesians chapter 6, a passage that you are familiar with, that I imagine many pastors are using this morning for their Father's Day message. In verse 4, Fathers, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Instruction. The Father has a responsibility to minister the word of God to His family. And you will have to stand before Jesus someday and you will have to give that accountability. Now our sermon today is going to be organized around four questions about the Father's responsibility to minister the word to His family. The first question will be, how serious is God about dads doing this? Secondly, what does it mean to minister the Word to your family? Number three, how is a dad to fulfill this responsibility? And number four, why is it mandatory that dads minister the Word to their family? For the answer, we turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy 4. Now the primary focus of Paul's writing is to Timothy, the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And he is commanding him to minister the Word of God to that church. That same command goes to every pastor of all ages to minister the Word to their flock, to their spiritual family. But I believe a secondary application is the father's responsibility to minister the Word to his family. Now we speak, and the Bible speaks, of the church being a family. And in many regards, the pastor is like the father of the family. And he has responsibility of ministering the Word of God and the grace of God to the family members, to the brothers and sisters in Christ. You are the minister of your family there. God has placed you there, as we have seen already. And so what is true about me and my responsibility to minister the Word to, my, to you, the congregation, is also true for you to minister the Word to your family. And we're going to look at that today. So as we're looking at this passage, I will probably be drawing both applications together. What he's saying to pastors about the church. What he's saying to fathers about their families. Beginning in verse 1. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. And by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myths. First question. How serious is God about dads fulfilling their responsibility to minister the Word? how serious you think God is about pastors fulfilling their responsibility to minister the Word. First, I want you to know he's very serious. This is a solemn charge. Paul says, I solemnly charge you. Now that word is one word in the Greek, and it means to impose a task or responsibility on someone, to command them, to instruct them, to exhort them. It is a very serious command. Secondly, we know it's serious because of the witnesses that are called on to witness this command. Now, as in the ancient days when a command was given, an order was given, you might call someone to witness. So the person could not come back and say, well, you know, he never told me to do that. Uh, He he never said that. And you could say, oh no, let's go get Joe and Bill. Joe, Bill, did you hear me tell him to do so and so and so and so? Yep, we heard it. We were right here. And Paul says here, Timothy, I want you to know who's witnessing this charge I'm giving you. It is witnessed by none other than God and Christ Jesus. In the presence of God and Christ Jesus. In the presence of means in the sight of. Paul is telling Timothy that when I give you this charge... God the Father and God the Son see it. They know I'm giving it to you. They are witnesses to it. And they are looking to make sure you fulfill it. They will be watching you, Timothy. Dad's God is watching you to see if you're faithful to fulfill this solemn charge, responsibility that He has given you. And then he goes on to say, in the presence of Jesus The judge of the living and the dead. Now, Jesus is going to come back someday, and when He comes back, He's going to sit on His great white throne of judgment, and He is going to judge all those who have rejected Him. Those who are living at the time and those who have died. But prior to that, He is going to be on another throne. It's called the Bema, the judgment seat of Christ, where He is only going to have Christians before Him. And He is going to judge us according to our faithfulness in serving Him. Not according to salvation. That's not an issue. We're saved in Christ. Not according to sin. Christ has already been judged for that. But it will be according to our faithfulness in serving Him. Paul talks about this over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. When he says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And a better term for that bad, a better translation, is worthless. It's not a matter of good and evil. It's a matter of what has been beneficial and what has been worthless. And so dads, we are going to stand before Jesus and a part of the accountability we must give will be how have we ministered the Word to our families. Then he goes on to say, not only in the presence of God in Christ Jesus and Jesus the Judge, but King Jesus. He goes on to say in 2 Timothy 4, and by His appearing and kingdom. Now, why does Paul add that? He's adding the sense of urgency. He's saying Jesus is coming back. And He's coming back as King. And He's coming back to set up His kingdom. And you better be found faithful when He comes back. Jesus said, how well is the servant the servant whose master comes back and finds Him doing what He ought to be doing? And not being lazy and slothful and abusing those under His charge. He said, Jesus is coming back. He is the King of kings and He will come and establish His rule on earth. And therefore, it is King Jesus that you need to please and not men. The picture is kind of like this. It's like we are part of a, a resistance, underground resistance in a country that has been overrun by an enemy. And you and I are responsible for training our children to fight this war with us to make sure that they too can stand against this imposing invading army in our land. Because we know one day a deliverer, a general is coming who is going to defeat this army that is now invading us and we are going to be under his charge. And when he comes and defeats that invading army and he sets up his kingdom and he says, alright, how did you do in the resistance? What did you do? We want to be able to say, I stood firm and I trained my family to stand firm and we fought the war. And we battled against the enemy the best we could under the circumstances. That's the picture. Jesus is coming back. We're in the spiritual war. And it's our responsibility not only to fight the war, men, but to train our children to fight the war. So that they can train their children to fight the war. And it goes on and on. Because our King's coming back. And He's going to set up His kingdom. And He's going to say, okay, let's have an account. How have you done? By His grace, we want to stand tall, having been faithful to the call. So how serious is God about Father's fulfilling this responsibility? Very serious. Second question. What does it mean to minister the Word? Well, first it means to proclaim the Word. Most translations say, preach the word. And actually that word means proclaim. It means to herald. It means to make known. It is the word caruso, which comes from the noun caroots. You remember the caroots was the town crier. You've heard me say this before, but back in the early days of American history, before they had radio, television, etc., The town crier would go through the town and he would yell out the news. Back in biblical days, when they wanted a message to go throughout the kingdom, they would send this Carux, and he would run from town to town and he would scream the message that the king had given him to proclaim. Now notice this Carux was not to invent his own message. Oh no, he was to deliver the message that the king had given him. He was never to change the message. His job was not to edit the message, or to make it more palatable to those who would be hearing it. His job was to deliver the message faithfully and obediently. The dead is charged with delivering the message of King Jesus who is coming to set up His kingdom and will judge the living and the dead. Well, what is the message, preacher, that God has called me to proclaim to my family? It's nothing less than His Word. Verse 16 in the chapter above. All Scripture is inspired by God. God breathed and profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. The preacher's job is to preach the Bible. Dad, your job is to proclaim the Word of God to your family. Why aren't more guys doing this? I think partly it's because of a lack of conviction. Well, that's what we pay the preacher to do. Well, you tell Jesus that when you stand before Him and He asks you to give an account. Say, well, you know, we paid the preacher to do that. I think laziness. I'm just tired, preacher. When I get home, I'm just tired. I have to work for a living. Okay, you tell Jesus that and let's see what He says. I had to work for a living, Jesus. Well, you know, my kids just didn't want to do it. I tried, but they just put up such a fuss. Try that one on Jesus. So first, we're to proclaim the truth of God. Secondly, what it means is we're to minister the Word continuously. Paul says be ready in season and out of season. That's just another way of saying be ready to do it all the time. When it's in season, when it's convenient, and when it's out of season, when it's not convenient. It doesn't matter. Just be ready to continuously share the Word of God with your family. Don't wait until it's convenient. It won't be convenient. It will not be convenient for you to take the time to sit down with your family, with your children, and share God's truth with them. You will always have other things that need to be done. Gutters that need to be cleaned. Things that need to be painted. Oil that needs to be changed. Grass that needs to be cut. We can go on and on and on. It will not be convenient. Paul says be ready to do it all the time. Be ready to do it when it's convenient and when it's not. And be ready to do it when it's not politically correct. Not only does it mean do it continuously, but it means be ready to do it when it won't be well received. You need to tell your children what the Bible says about the sin of homosexuality. They won't hear it in school. And they may say, but, but, but daddy, you know, they told us at school this, 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 this. You stand against the tithe. Even if it's not politically correct, you tell the truth. God's standing for moral purity. God's roles for men and women. It won't be convenient. It won't be what they will hear other places. Ever more they need to hear it from you. So first of all, you teach them the Word of God. You, you proclaim the Word to them. Secondly, it must be done continuously. That is, it is a way of life. Not something you do for a week and then stop, but it is a continual thing. And then next, what does it mean? It means to reprove. Reprove. What does that mean? That means to convict. That means to refute. That means to find fault with. That means to correct. That doesn't mean to be harsh and mean-spirited, but it means to show someone their fault. And it brings them to repentance. They see it. It was used in classical Greek... Of a surgeon, having made an incision, then he applied the necessary remedy that would bring healing to the situation. Now, many of you know I have a hand condition called Dupuytren's contracture. And I've already had four surgeries on these two hands, and i got another surgery I need to have on this hand. It seems to be just a chronic thing. Now, it hurts to have surgery. It's painful for what I do it then. Because I know I need to experience the pain in order to experience the gain. Now, when we rebuke people, when we show people where they're wrong, it hurts. They don't like it. But it's necessary if there's going to be healing. And if there's going to be repentance and righteousness. Say a dad's son's are playing a sport and the coach is just Got it in for him, And it just seems that everything they do, he, he criticizes and, and he, he yells at your son and, and he makes fun of him in front of the other players and your son is grumbling to you and, and he's been grumbling to the other players and, and you realize, you know, this is not the Spirit of Christ. And so you sit him down and you say, let's, let's look at the Word of God for a moment and you turn over to First Peter chapter 2. And you say, you know, son, you're going to experience people like this in life. It's not a coach, it's going to be a boss, it's going to be somebody else. You know, you need to let's see what God says about what your attitude needs to be. And you share with them how God says that we are to be submissive even to unruly bosses. That Jesus put up with with unjust rulers. He submitted to them. In fact, Peter says that where our testimony is the strongest is when we are submissive and honoring to ungodly authorities over us. You see, that's where our testimony stands the brightest against the world. Because you expect the world to grumble and gripe about an unjust authority, but when somebody says, I'm going to trust God in this situation. I'm going to look to God. He is the one. To whom I trust. He will work in this person's heart. I'm going to leave it with him. I'm not going to be resentful and bitter. I'm going to trust God. That you rebuke them, but you reprove them, but you do so with the grace and the Word of God. He says also we must rebuke. Again, this is a command. And in the English, there's not much difference between reprove and rebuke, is it? But there is a difference in the Greek. And the difference is, When you reprove someone, the understanding is they see it. And they agree with you and they change. But when you rebuke someone, the implication in the Greek is they don't see it. They don't agree with you. They probably get upset. And they get angry. You remember when Noah preached to that generation? They didn't listen. They did not receive. They refused to repent. And there are going to be times, dads, that you're going to share... The truth of God with your children, particularly as they get in their teenage years, and they may say, I just don't agree with that man. I just don't agree. I'm going to do something else. A preacher's success is not determined by how people respond. Isn't that amazing? A pastor's success is not determined by how you respond. It's only determined by my faithfulness to proclaim the truth. God told Ezekiel, they're not going to listen. I'm going to make your head as hard as flint. I'm going to make your head hard in there. So they're not going to listen. But I want you to preach it. Jeremiah, they didn't listen to him. That's why he was a weeping prophet. Noah, they didn't listen to him. By and large, they didn't listen to Jesus. After three years of ministry, only 120 in the upper room. So, Dad, God determines your success by your faithfulness to minister the Word, first of all. But your children have a will, and they will make choices. And sometimes they will make choices that you do not agree with, and they know are not right. But God will hold you primarily responsible for your faithfulness to teach them God's truth. So there will be times when you must rebuke. And then he says, exhort, encourage them. I like the word encourage here for the word exhort. That's that word parakaleo, the word used of the Holy Spirit, which means to come alongside. And I think here it means to come alongside for the purpose of encouragement. You know, there are times you need to rebuke, there are times you need to reprove, and there are times, many times, you need to encourage. You think in your life of a time that you were just, man, you were down. You had just blown it, or you had, just thought you had failed something awful, and how much you needed a word of encouragement. Maybe if you were a child, how great it would have been if your dad had just come up beside you and put his arm around you and say, Son, I know you tried, I know it failed, but you know, I'm still proud of you. Let's just give it another go. Let's try again. Let's keep going. I'm convinced most people respond much better to encouragement than they do to rebuke. Most men have the natural tendency to rebuke. But I believe encouragement is a better way. There are times when rebuke and reproof are necessary. But encouragement. Oh, how far a dad's encouraging words can go. Don't you love it, guys, when the Heavenly Father encourages you? Something about a dad's words of encouragement that can, can take a child who has almost given up and give them the strength to keep going. So that's how a dad is, what's what it means to minister the word, to exhort, to reprove, to rebuke, to encourage. Third question How is a dad to fulfill their responsibility? First, with great patience. Boy. No surprise there, is it? Verse two with great patience. That word is macrothumia means long tempered. It takes you a long time to get upset. Just the opposite of a short fuse. And when we are training our children and teaching our children, you've got to be patient. You know, that's why they need us, because they're not perfect. And they do make mistakes. And they do fail. And we need to be patient with them. We need to say, alright, let's get up and let's go again. We're not to write them off. To get upset and so say, I'm just sick and tired of working. When you just don't, won't ever get it right. We must encourage with great patience. And then he says it is to be done with instruction. Last part of verse 2. That word in the Greek means teaching. Teaching. We're to teach God's truth to our children. The passage in Deuteronomy that is familiar, but it must be repeated at this point. Deuteronomy 6 is that command that God gives that we do instruct our children and we do so on a continual basis. Deuteronomy 6, four. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be in your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and you should talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. The picture of a lifestyle, of sharing with them about the things of God. There will be a time when you need to sit down and open up the Word of God and say, let's see what God says. But there are also times when you're just driving down the road, when you're at ball practice, when you're walking out in the fields, that you talk about the things of God. That you just talk about God's world, God's creation, or what's going on in their lives, and you share with them the truth of God in that kind of situation. Now the last question. Why is it mandatory that fathers fulfill this responsibility? Paul tells Timothy, he says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine." The warning have their ears tickled. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn again to myths. Why is it mandatory that we minister the word to our families? Because the pressure of society will push them away. Left to themselves, those pressures of society will push them away from God. And you instructing and teaching them in the ways of God is like a chain holding them. And though they may go around, they will not get too far away. Because society is pressing them and pressing them away. And if we're not there ministering the Word, they will fall into the ways of society. Look at the television, the movies, the music, on and on. It's pressuring them away from God. Into ungodliness. Now, what's going to counteract that? They're going to be exposed to it. You can't put them in a bubble. But what's going to counteract that pressure that's pushing them away? It's going to be you, Dad, drawing them closer with the instruction of the Lord, ministering the Word of God through your heart and through your life and through your love. That's what's going to draw them and keep them in. And then secondly, it's mandatory because their natural tendency is towards sin. You leave them alone, they're going to sin. You know that. That's our natural inclination. And therefore, we must work against that natural bent towards sin. And we work against that by ministering the Word of God to them. You may be thinking, well, preacher, is it too late? I don't think so. First, the command is not only to fathers, but to grandfathers as well. Those of us who are grandpas, we have a responsibility to our grandkids. Dads, if you have not been fulfilling your responsibility, why don't you start now? You can just take, say, John, the Gospel of John. Just get your kids around. Say, so we're just going to spend ten minutes in the Word today, guys. And just read a paragraph or more in the Gospel of John. Say, so now let's see, what's John saying here? What's he telling us? And then you talk about the truth that's being given in that passage. And then you say, well, what's the significance of it for us? You know, is there a lesson to be learned? Is there truth to be learned for teaching? The Bible is profitable for, for teaching and for correction. Is there something in here that tells us something we need to, to do differently than we're doing? For reproof, it, it tells you maybe we're, we're doing something we shouldn't do. For training in righteousness. Just go through and ask those questions. Is there truth here to be learned? Is there something about God? Does it tell me something I need to be doing? Does it tell me something I need to stop doing? Just talk about it. Five, ten minutes. That's a start. It's a great start. And if your kids are are real young, then just tell them a Bible story. Just go and pick a Bible story. Get a Bible story book. Just pick a Bible story. And you go and read it first. And then you say, Hey kids, I want to tell you a great story and just tell it in your own words. But begin to share with them and fulfill that responsibility that God's given you and that we're going to have to give an account for someday. The kids are grown. Go for the grandkids. Share with them. You'll be the one that gets the most out of it. Let's pray.